Wonderful. Bless you. Bless you. I think we've said so many times from up here that church is not a spectator sport. If it's a sport, it's a participatory sport. Everybody's involved in it. Find your place, how you fit in, how you participate. God bless you today. So grateful for those who are leading us in worship. Thank you for your time and for your sacrifice. Thank you. Thank you for your consistency, which, which operates as a benefit to all of us. Yeah, it's a benefit for all of us. And sometimes I think we take it for granted. It's a great thing to know. No matter what happens to you in your life, come Sunday morning at 930, you can show up at 7600 Division Boulevard, um, Division Avenue, and there's going to be a worship service going on. Yeah. And I want to thank the people who come who don't feel it's, a, it's, not, it's not a choice. I got to be there. I got to be there. So thank God for you. And I know some do it for and get some recompense. But, but but many don't. Many don't. So thank you, each and every one of you. It looks like the train has left for Revelation Station, so thank God for that. That consistency is blessed as well. Thank Tamara and Marche and the whole crew that does that. So I started the sermon series a week ago. The title of the sermon series is Entrusted. The stewardship stewardship series on relationship. Stewardship series on relationships. The importance of maintaining solid relationships in all of our situations. Last week we talked about the parent-child relationship and how it's effective. This week we're going to step into a new arena. Some of it, I think, perhaps may be a little uncomfortable for some folks. Not intentionally. Sometimes hearing these truths come from the Bible, playing them against our current cultural context, and cause a little concern. But everything we're saying and we're saying in love, and we want you to understand it and grow in this space. Grow in this space. And so today we're going to talk about stewardship of our marriage relationship. All right? Husbands and wives. We have to have a central thought for this, for this uh, sermon, and it will be to have and to hold. To have and, and to hold. Perhaps uh, in the central and the uh, central scripture for it is going to be Matthew chapter nineteen verses, really verses one through twelve. But part of those verses we'll be using next week when we're going to have a complete conversation about marriage, and we're going to have a conversation about divorce next week. All right, and this week we're going to talk about marriage, and then we're going to talk about divorce because we don't ever talk about divorce in church. We ought to. 
right? Because um, there's some immature thoughts in that space. And I think we need to get a healthier perspective on divorce uh, in the context of church and what the Bible says. But today we're going to talk about marriage. Let me see if I can read some of this for you from starting at verse 1 in chapter 19 of Matthew. So now when Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the part of Judea that is beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? He replied, have you never read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined inseparably to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. The Pharisees said to him, why then did Moses command us to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said to them, because your hearts were hard and stubborn, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. And verse 9 says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. 10, the disciples said to him, if the relationship of a man with his wife is like this, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom the capacity to receive it has been given. For there are eunuchs who have been born that way from their mother's womb, making them incapable of consummating the marriage. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men or royal service. And then there are eunuchs who have been made them who have been who have made themselves so for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept this, let him accept it. The scripture that I want you to concentrate on, as we digest all of this over these next two messages. The one I want you to concentrate on is starting in verse five. When he said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined inseparably to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So if we study the intention of the question from the Pharisees, who were following Jesus all around during his earthly ministry, testing him, testing, needling him, talking to him about various aspects of life and challenging his notion of how life ought to be. And they got on the subject of marriage. Now, this is, this is, is not the first time they had talked to him about this topic. Yeah, they kept coming back to this topic. It seemed central to some of their thoughts. But it's obvious from these questions and the, and the dialogue between Jesus and the disciples, that the Pharisees were more preoccupied with the grounds or reasons for divorce than they were with the sacredness and the sanctity of marriage. They were simply trying to figure out 
how you validly divorce somebody. They were never asking Jesus, you know, how to maintain a healthy and committed lifestyle and marriage. And so in answering the questions on divorce, Jesus takes them back to God's original intent. And he breaks it out like a blueprint on what marriage actually is. There are many, many vows that couples make. Even today, people make their own vows, whether they are grounded in scripture or not, people make their own vows and that's what they come to the altar in whatever setting they are in, whether it's in a church or in a governmental building or in a parking lot, wherever they are. And they, they, they recite these vows and, and make a level of commitment to one another. And we see this and we see it in so many different contexts today. And so today, I just kind of want to cut through all of that and, and, and show you, I think, what God was when he was trying to teach us about marriage. Uh, the, to have and to hold, the statement that I use that becomes the central focus of this. And the traditional vows that we use that were taken from, um, from some, some passages that were created hundreds of years ago and have been formed into what we now know of as the modern wedding wedding ceremony. It was broken down into different parts. And if you don't know that, when, you, when, when we have a wedding, it's broken down into different parts. All right? There's an introduction, there's a greeting, right? and then there's, a, there's a, an asking of whether or not there are any impediments to the marriage. Yeah, and then we go into the actual... There's a, and we go into the actual vows themselves. There's a ring ceremony many times. Sometimes we add other parts in. We might even do a celebration of the Lord's Supper within the ceremony itself. One part of the ceremony um, is drawn from a legal perspective, all right? And it's called the uh, Habendum Clause, the Habendum Clause. Now, the Habendum Clause for people who... Uh, have a legal background or know a little bit about the law and contracts, know, they know that it's a clause that's in a deed or in a lease that defines the type of interest that the person um, who's being granted some rights will have. Okay? Make that plain. That means that if I'm contracting with you in the habendum clause, I tell you what you're going to get and how long you're going to be able to keep. Okay? And that's why the language to have and to hold is the habendum clause. In other words, you can have it and it's yours. <laughs> All right? That's, that's what the habendum clause means. And it, it sounds pretty when you say it that way, to have and to hold. But understand this now. Traditionally, we were marrying people together who were bringing property and, and all sorts of things, and we needed to make sure on the front end you understood what was going on. That happens today as well. And so, was that part of what the Lord wanted? Let's find out. In Genesis, when he instituted a marriage, things were pretty simple. We've complicated them. Adam and Eve didn't, didn't own anything, but they had everything. Think about that now. They, they, they had everything they needed. There was no need to barter and set up any contracts or 
anything like that because God had given them everything they desired uh, in the garden. And so when we look at the Genesis story, we find God in charge of a process, creating a process to bring them together. All right. So let me see if I can give you some perspective on this. Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25, it says, Then the Lord said, it's not good for the man to be alone, so I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was his name. And the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, this is verse 20, B part, but for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So in verse 21, Moses wrote, so the Lord, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib, which he had taken from the man, and brought her to the man. Verse 23, the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother. Here we are again. Jesus is quoting the scripture when he's talking to the Pharisees. He goes back to the blueprint. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And then verse 25 is, I think, very important. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Okay? So marriage came from the necessity of God looking at everything that he had created and realizing that he had made pairs or multiples, but Adam, the one he had given central authority to everyone, didn't have anyone of like mind with him. And so God created someone who would be of like mind to him. God had been creating for five days. It's the sixth day. Sixth day he had reserved his greatest creation. And that was to create man. If you remember at the end of every activity, you learned this growing up, every day's activity, God surveyed all that he had done, and he says what? It's good. At the end of every day, he says it's, it's good. But on, on the sixth day, when God created, he looked at his creation, and for the first time in six days, y'all, God says it's not good. Yeah, every day he said it's good. It's good. It's good. And he gets to day six. And he said, it's not good for a man to be alone. All right? So I need to fix this situation. I I need to change this situation. And so God's pronouncement was not because Adam came and said, Lord, you know, I'm lonely. Wasn't that? Adam didn't go to God and file a charge saying, you know, you left me out here hanging by myself, Lord. I, I need to do something about that. Yeah, he he said I, I he didn't say, Lord, I know everybody's got a partner but me. What you gonna do about this before I go to HR on you? He didn't say that. All right. 
He simply said in himself, God did, that it wasn't good for his pinnacle creation, man, to be by himself. Yeah. And God didn't do this because Adam was broken. God didn't do this because Adam was missing anything materially on earth that he needed. He simply did it, and he didn't do it. He didn't do it. He didn't make Eve because he had made a mistake with Adam. That didn't happen. He simply do it, did it out of the necessity of companionship, but like-minded companionship, all right? And so he does this special thing that sometimes we, t- we take for granted, this special thing of bringing together Adam with someone who is like him, who's a part of him, and who can help fulfill a purpose in him. God said it's not good for him to be alone. Well, let's put that into context, because Adam wasn't really alone because God was there. All right? God was there. But what, what God is saying is Adam doesn't have anybody to talk to in the evening who understands the job that he's doing or have anybody to wake up with in the morning who understands the issues that he specifically is going through. Not to say that God didn't understand that, but God wanted someone of Adam's character to be there with him. And so we all think about that immediately because what we have been taught in Scripture, walk with me on this, is that God gave Eve to Adam as a helpmeet. Okay? That's what we've been told. It's true. It's true. What we've messed up in the process of learning this is what the definition of helpmeet or helper means. We have denigrated that word so that it's, we, make it, we think it means what it means in our society right now. And that is an unskilled worker who is assisting a skilled worker. That's what we think help me as a helper. You get hired on as a job today as a helper, that means you do everything. 1982, summer. I got a job at Food World in Irondale. I was hired as a sacker. All right? Another word for sacker is helper. All right? Because that means you learn how to bag groceries, but if it needs mopping over there, guess what you do? You go mop. If trash needs to be picked up around the store, guess what you do? You go pick up trash. Whatever the manager needed help doing, he always called the utility player. And the utility player in the grocery store was a helper named the sacker. Now, I am not complaining. I mean, I learned a lot. Because we got something that some of the other people didn't get, and that was called tips. All right? So I was glad to be in that role. The better you helped, <laughs> the more tips you got. I learned that pretty quickly. And Lord knows I needed all the tips, all the tips I could get that summer. All right? But look, I wasn't part of the planning. I wasn't part of the brain trust. I wasn't part of the decision making. Yeah. I wasn't allowed to drive the trucks or the forklifts around there. I wasn't allowed to do any of that. Yeah, I wasn't allowed to touch power equipment, which was beneficial to food world. <laughs> I'd not be allowed to touch any of that stuff. I was an unskilled 
and low-level helper. And that is not what God intended for the help me to be. So if you have that in mind, when it comes to God giving you a partner, you already off the mark. If that's what you're looking for, if you bring somebody into the relationship to do all the stuff you don't want to do, the hard stuff, that's a problem from the beginning. And so we, we, we think it's almost an unnecessary position. That's how it's defined by modern linguistics. An unskilled person, you almost could put anybody in that position is what it's saying. Yeah. But as it's used today, there is a higher notion of what helper means. See if I can help you understand what this is. Is it as it's defined in the Aramaic mindset, the Hebrew mindset of that day, the person who became the helper had a much richer meaning. Put this in your note. The person from the mindset, the cultural mindset of the time this was given, had a higher position with the person they were being joined to. It was used of someone who could assist another person, watch this now, in achieving their full potential. All right? And the other person would help them reach their full potential. In other words, there are mutual benefits to this union. I help you become your best you. And you help me become my best version of me. It was used of someone who's able to come alongside and fill in the spaces of what's missing in the other person. So God is finding for Adam someone that will assist Adam in being the best version of Adam. How did that go? That didn't go so good. The reason it didn't go so well is because Adam was given free will too. He was also given charge of everything. And Adam chose to follow Eve into some spaces that he had been given direction not to go into. And that created some havoc that we are, of course, still dealing with today. Interestingly, both of them were created and made in the image and likeness of God. No problems there. And we reflect back on him and all of creation. We are a part of what he wanted to be in charge of everything. And it's true that they are both created in that image, but specifically made different. And made different for a reason. They're unique and distinct. Adam and Eve are unique and distinct. And God, from eternity past, created them in his way to create what we would think of as a perfect relationship. All right? The purpose of this was creating them the ability to replicate and do what others he had created are able to do. Because God is about one thing first when it comes to us. You ought to write this down because this is important. God is about relationship. 
God is about relationship. He wants to have relationship with us. God wants us to have healthy relationship with one another. That's the purpose of his creation. But he loves us enough to create us uniquely and different and then expect of us to bring in the beauty of our uniqueness to those relationships. What fun would it have been? What would it have been if he had made each one of us exactly alike? Exactly alike. No uniqueness, no distinctive character. He didn't do that. Marriage of a man and a woman not only reflects the beauty and image of God, it also serves as a symbol and shadow of God's of, 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 of Christ's relationship to the church. We see this over and over and over again. John Piper said it this way. The most ultimate thing we can say about marriage is that it exists for God's glory. That's the purpose of it. It exists to display God. Marriage is patterned after Christ's covenantal relationship with the church. In fact, Christ is referred to as the bridegroom. The church is referred to as the bride of Christ throughout Scripture. We go through this time and time again. Why? Because God is about relationship. And so marriage is the covenant relationship between Christ, the creator, to his creation. And the church is a display of the love he has for the people. We find that Adam is going to be given by God a helper, but in the process, he's taught some very important lessons. So let's look at what God created when he created this first, we call it e-dating service, ecreation.com, all right, is what God <laughs> created there. First of all, God brings all the, all the animals to God, to Adam, to see if Adam can find a helper in the rest of creation that's suitable for him. Couldn't. He couldn't. There's no substitute there. He wanted Adam to know that the only way he would find a help meet would be for God to make him one. This is important. The only way he would be able to find a help meet is for God to make him one. And that's what God did. And so God took him through this first laparoscopic surgery, I guess, is what it was. Just cut him open, took a rib out. All right. Love the imagery of that. That, that the, the bride of Adam was a part of him already. Okay? Already a part of him. His DNA was already in her. Okay? That, that, that's, that's what God has created here. St. Augustine said this, that if God meant woman to rule over man, he would have taken her out of Adam's head. Had he wanted her to be his slave, he would have taken her out of his feet. But God took the woman off man's side, for he made her to be his helpmeet and an equal to him. Not to rule on over him or to be stepped on by him, but a rib taken from under his arm and next to his heart to be cared for, loved, and protected. I love the imagery of that. Part of him. Jewish rabbis say this often, that a man is restless while he misses the rib that was taken from him, and a woman is restless until she gets under the arm for which she came. All right? 
So they're searching, they're searching to be placed back into, into union as God created it. God finished this masterpiece called Eve, and he brings her, delivers her to Adam and says, glory to God. And Adam proclaims when he sees her, he says, this is, she is bone of my bone. She is flesh of my flesh. And therein we find a statement that we talk about that's God's blueprint for marriage. God finds and brings to you the help meet that he desires from you. I know that's not fashionable. I know that's not favorable today that we have to be in that context for God to bring someone. But I can tell you anybody that's in a relationship that they believe has lasted any time will tell you that they believe that their partner is God's sin. All right? Even though they went looking themselves, they believe that God brought them together. And the test of the time is how God keeps them together. And that's where we go. God designed marriage, the marriage relationship, to be exclusive. It's just that simple. God didn't make three E's for Adam. He didn't. He didn't make three Adams for Eve. He made a one-on-one -on -one relationship. This is important because in the context of how we live now, God did not create a group of people all together and say, go out there and pick you one. He didn't do that. That's not the example we have. Could have. He could have done anything he wanted to, but he made one to one and gave them the ability to do what he thought needed to be done to replenish the earth. All right. One man, one woman is what he created in the Bible. That's what's here. The marriage relationship is exclusive based on his design. Monogamy is important. Monogamy, faithfulness, truth to the relationship is important. How many problems come about in any relationship because people are less than faithful to the one they have? You know and I know that creates most of the problems that come about. Lack of faithfulness, lack of monogamy keeps a whole lot of lawyers in business every day. Yeah, but not only that, it keeps a whole lot of churches in business, keeps a whole lot of psychiatrists in business, and therapists in business, keeps a whole lot of folk. There's a whole industry that comes behind lack of faithfulness in relationships. And so in the verse that we had, there's a command there that helps us to identify how we fulfill this monogamy. And it's, it's instructive, but it's hard. Okay? It says, it means that when you get married, when the union starts, the man is to leave his mama and his daddy's house. All right? And it says that you are to cleave to your new spouse. Ooh, this is hard. This is very, very difficult. It doesn't mean that you abandon your parents. That's not what that means. It doesn't mean that you shut them out of any and everything. That's not what it means. No. It doesn't mean that you stop honoring your parents. That's not what it means. All right? 
It doesn't mean that you have to have some great geological different, uh, uh, distance between you and your parents. Sometimes that can be helpful, but that's not what it means. Because you can live across the street from your mom and daddy and still honor what the scripture says. At the same time, same time, you can live on a different continent and never really leave home. All right? Because you still have connections that are unhealthy in your relationship. So it's not simply for newlyweds. It could be a 15, 20-year marriage, and the parties have never really left home, which can create problems. There's never been that one-on-one relationship. One famous, famous citizen said about her marriage one time when questioned by a reporter, she said, well, it's a bit crowded. You know, there are three of us in this marriage. That creates problems. Yeah, too many people making decisions that should be left for just two. Yeah. I'll tell you this. One of the best things that probably happened for me and Karen, we're in our 36th year of marriage. And one of the best things that perhaps happened to us happened just of necessity because of where we were in life. And that is we lived a distance from our family. Uh, Here we are both with nothing, and we rubbed our two nothings together. And usually every day that meant we had something to eat. We were able to take care of our responsibilities. It wasn't always easy. We were in a precarious financial situation for a while because we were students. We just didn't have it. We were living, we were married, we were together, but because we lived a distance from our folks, we had to make it happen, the two of us. Wasn't no picking up the phone, calling, find out what we're going to be able to do. Not to mention that, we had a baby in the mix. And so I had to go to class and work. She had to go to class and work. Somebody else got to keep the baby. So we had to figure out how to make that happen. When I tell you, I know how hard it was for two of us working together I can't only imagine how hard it is for one trying to do it by themselves. All right? It's just hard to do it. But by God's grace, we were able to get past that season in our life. But what was it about us living apart that was beneficial? It meant that we had to be dependent, it's an important word, on one another. I had to depend on Karen in a way that I might not have had to depend on if I lived here, if we lived in Birmingham from the beginning. I had so much family in Birmingham, I could have hit in a, a lot of doorsteps and been able to solve some issues. If we lived in Tuskegee, you know, she got a cousin on every rock in Tuskegee. We could have gone anywhere, and they would have taken care of whatever needs she had. But we lived in Tuscaloosa. And in Tuscaloosa, we had no family. We had nobody there. We had some friends, but they were just in the same situation we were in. All right. Uh, we had two peas. They had one and a half. Or we had one and a half. They had two. Uh, we were having a good time. We had a barbecue on the weekend with about 10 chicken wings. That was a party. All right. That's just how it was. All right. But we had each other. We had each other. 
And, and so in order for it to be successful in a marriage, two changes must occur, all right? The first thing is you have to sever the cord of dependency. Dependency. Choosing not to rely on your parents for material or emotional support. What I found is this works both ways. Just as the child is severing that cord, the parents can't keep tying it. All right? They have to leave the cord severed because you have to learn how to live without that level of dependency. And the other thing is, and this is really crucial, allegiance. Dependency has to be changed and allegiance, all right? What does allegiance mean? Allegiance means I'm more concerned about what's going on between me and Karen than what's going on in my mom and them house. I'm more concerned about how our ideas foster. And again, I say this is important because a parent's presence in a child's life is a big shadow. And the parent has to learn how to pull that shadow back so that it doesn't loom so large over their children's household. And there are many times that a parent can give advice, good advice, that would be beneficial to them. But you need to learn how to shut up and let them make their own decisions. Whether it works or it doesn't work, let them figure it out. This is important. You have to step out of those relationships. Now, I'm talking both ways now. 36 years into this marriage scene, I have the benefit of being the new husband and the new daddy in that space. I've lived both of them. The one who needed to sever the bond from my mom and them house and the one who needed to sever the bond from my children's house been able to deal with both of them, and they're both crucial that you do it. And it's hard because who wants to see their children suffer? If it suffers, who wants to see them make choices that are not necessarily good for them or not put them in the best position they can be in? But I, can I tell you, the struggle on this end will help them fly better on the other end. Because if you don't notice, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, life can change. and You might not be there to help them anymore. And when you're not there to help them anymore, the struggle is real for real. And so they got to change dependence and allegiance. Not only that, it's the struggle for determining allegiance that helps the couple learn one another. This is crucial. It's in the struggle. Which bills do we pay this week? <laughs> that we learn what priorities are. All right? Which bills? Is it power? Is it water? Is it cable? Yeah. Do I go to the barbershop? Do you go to the nail shop? Which, what's important? And what do you see as important? And it's in those situations that we start learning one another. It means you make the husband and wife relationship your primary human relationship. And we ought to be concerned 
about being good sons and daughters, and then we ought to be more concerned about being good husbands and wives. That's crucial to us. And so I want to say a word to the parents. The greatest gift you can give to your children when they get married is to cut those ties. All right, you're not going to like it. Get out of their house. Stay out of their house. Leave their house alone. All right, if they need some assistance for you, you raise them enough to know you love them and they can come ask you for that assistance. And if you can help them under those circumstances, then help them. But sometimes they can hear you say no too. No, leave that alone. Y'all can handle that. Or not. Or not. I know you want the upgrade, but maybe this time y'all can go with the base. And the next time y'all can get the upgrade or grow to that. But it's okay for them to hear you say no, no too. Because you shouldn't put yourself in a bad position so that they can be in the best position. We do that with our children all the time now, you know. We give them best of everything while we take the worst. They shouldn't want to see you in that space. But they have to learn to do it. Not only did God create that opportunity for the relationship to be exclusive, the second, another thing is God designed marriage to be permanent. We don't want to talk about that, but we got to because that was his intention. And if he, if he designed it that way, then it can work if he created it that way. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Let me tell you, show you how I know he made it to be permanent. Because the word cleave means to weld together, to grip, to glue, to grasp. Anything you put that much work into putting together is going to cause tremendous pain to take apart, if you ever can. And you'll never take it apart successfully without pain. There's always going to be some part of it that's going to be injured. Marriage joins a man and a woman at such a level of profound intimacy that separating them would be as unthinkable and as painful as cutting someone in two. And the reason is because they technically become one. And how do you separate something that is whole? And so you can't enter marriage with the thought, if it doesn't work, I'll just get a divorce. If you go into it with that notion, if you have that as a default in your mind, you've already created those problems on the front end. Yeah. You can't, you can't, there's some people who say that the people who have first marriages that, that may not do well, they have starter marriages. That's, that's a cultural thing. There's no such thing as a starter marriage. Everybody that's been married had a starter marriage from that standpoint. There's no such thing. The longevity of your marriage does not indicate its success. Yeah, you can be miserable for 50 years. Yeah. I almost preached this sermon from another perspective with Ahab and Jezebel as the husband and wife. Yeah. And the title of the sermon was going to be 40 years with the wrong woman. All right. But I decided we needed to be more positive. There's a whole lot of lessons you can learn from being married to the wrong woman. For 40 years. I don't know necessarily that those are the ones that we needed to have come out of here because Jezebel was a piece of work. 
And she made her husband the worst king there ever was. I didn't think we should go that way, but just a little bit of taste on how this could have been different. Marriage is not about blind chance, but about deliberate choice. All right? You don't look up on finding the right other. You make that person the right other. You work at it every single day. Anybody in here that's married that know that even on a good day, you can write this down, put it on a t-shirt. Andre been saying this because he's been here. On a good day, marriage is hard. On a good day, it's hard. Best day you had in a relationship. Woo, this was great. We had a good time. You know, we ate oxtail. Everything was good. Whatever you consider, you know, whatever you consider a good day. It was good. Oxtails and strawberries. We were great today. And it was still hard. It was still hard. Just for us to be together. Yeah. But it was it was a hard I'm willing to have. That makes a difference. It's a hard I'm willing to go through. It's a hard I'm willing to take. And if you happen to find, come on now, if you happen to find the one you look at 40 years later and, and, and your stomach still lurks, you know, that, that, that feeling that when you first saw them, they still make you smile. You still think they're beautiful first thing in the morning when it's always speculative. Either way, you know, I mean, ooh, you're beautiful. But, you know, you know, when hair, I don't know. But if that still happens to you, what a blessing. If you're still eager to get home from that job we have to work every day, if you're still eager to get home just to be with them, what a blessing. If you still don't mind going in debt with them, because that's what we do. That's what we do, don't we? We go, men, you know, men, I want to buy you a house. I want to work for the next 30 years paying for a house for you. What a thing right there. What a thing right there. What a thing. I want to have a clean house for you. I want to take care of everything. And, and look, there are no roles in the house that have to be hard and fast. You ain't got to be the cook because you're the woman, particularly if you can't. Why are you going to keep messing up all our groceries? All right? Just because that's what folks say. Stop burning up bread. Let's eat good food. You cook. You a better cook than me. I ain't got to take care of the money just because I make more. You can handle the money so we can keep some of what we have. There are no definitive roles in your house. Don't let folk come in and tell you how it's got to be in your house. In fact, when they come in, you have my permission. You can tell them, my pastor told me to tell you to shut up. All right? Get out of my house. This is important. Don't let folk come in your house telling you what you got to do in your house and how it's supposed to work in your house because what works in their house may not work in your house. This is important. Whatever your forever is, make it your forever. And my forever may not look anything like your forever, but that doesn't make it right, wrong. That it doesn't work that way. Cleave. Cleave. Every morning you got to wake up cleaving to your spouse. Every morning, even on the days they do stuff you can't stand, cleave. Cleave. 
Yeah. You got to do it. The wife promises to be faithful to her husband. Even if he's afflicted with bulges he didn't have, baldness he didn't have, bunions he didn't have, bifocals he didn't have, even if he loses his health, his wealth, his job, his charm, even if someone more exciting walks down the street, you still said you're going to cleave to him. It's not perfection. And I can go through and list all these other things on the other side too. She still has to be your gumdrop or whatever it is you call her. You got to work at the relationship each and every day. Vows are permanent. The vows are permanent. They're not speculative. They're permanent. And so it's a total commitment to the person for your life. It's a covenant. And it's not a contract. I'm going to say this and I'm going to give this out here. Covenant, not a contract. What's a contract? Contract is I will do my part if you do your part. That's contract. Okay? Contract is I will love you if I feel you love me enough and meet my level of expectation. That's what a contract is. You know, I, I got to feel like, well, that's, that. look, there's enough lawyers in here. They can tell you, you have to test whether performance was done under a contract. That's what they do. I'll give you an example. Famous musician sued by a company under a contract because he allowed them to put his name on the product. In exchange for putting his name on the product and giving him money for it, he was supposed to promote the product. They say he never promoted the product enough. They say he would never mention the product. He countered with... I did promote the product. Here are examples. The court has to determine whether he promoted the product enough to meet the terms of the contract and not have damaged the product. The bottom line is the, the, uh, the uh, cologne just may not have been good cologne. <laughs> All right? That's why people didn't buy it. But the company that didn't make the money they expected thought it was because he didn't publicize it enough. Marriage should never get to that. Where you're trying to determine whether you you didn't love me enough, sir. I can tell you this right now. There are going to be some days I'm not going to love you enough. But I'm with you. In fact, I'm going to say there are going to be some days I don't even like you. That's marriage. That's marriage. And I ought to be able to tell you I don't even like you today. All right? What you want with these grits? All right, that's that, that's what it comes down to. We're not going to like one another every day because we're people and we live in the same space and we get on each other's nerves and I'm tired. I'm going in the other room and I'm going to sleep and I'll see you in the morning. God bless you. I love you. All right. That, that, that's how it is. That's putting it together and making it work. Contracts, whether you perform enough, I'll serve you if you feel if I feel like you serve me enough, I'll be faithful to you under contract. If you're faithful to me, covenants don't work that way. You ought to shout glory to God if you're in a space right now and you're in covenant with the Lord. A covenant is I'm faithful unto death unto you completely. And that doesn't change no matter the circumstances. A covenant says I'll never shut it down or walk out. That's a covenant. 
So a covenant says you can't do enough to me to make me leave you because I ain't going to leave. All right? That's, that's a covenant. It says I'll continue to do my part. I'll continue to give them myself as I believe you should even if you don't. I'm going to do my part because that's the covenant that I've made with you. I'm going to do my part. And the rest of it is between you and the Lord. That's a covenant. And I will not return evil for evil. That's my part. Selfishness for selfishness. You can be selfish, but I'm not going to be selfish with you. You got everything I got. All right? I'm not going to be mean-spirited to you because you're mean-spirited to me. And I want to do good to you even when you don't do the same thing for me. That's covenant. How do I know? Because that's how God is with us, Red. God loves us even when we don't think about God. When we don't do anything for God, he loves us. He gives to us and blesses us because he made covenant to take care of us. We're his. He's not situational. Once he loves us, he loves us. And I'm glad that God operates on covenant even when I'm unfaithful to him. Glad he doesn't walk out on me even when I turn my back on him. I'm glad he doesn't walk out when I'm loving. Glad God doesn't turn his back on me when I'm selfish. When, when I don't want to give God the time that he gave me, I thank him for it. Marriage is everything good and bad. Sometimes. And the last thing is God designed marriage to be a tapestry. Tapestry. A weaving of two lives together. I challenge you to go in and separate where your lines dissect after you've been together for a while. Yeah, whose friends are these? Yeah, for real. We've been together so long that somebody who was my best friend is now his, her best friend. They, they talk more than we do. It's amazing. She didn't even know him before we got married, and now he called the house and don't even talk to me. And it ain't nothing wrong with it. it ain't nothing crazy going on. They just free. That's marriage, weaving lives together. I've got relatives on my side of my family that I don't hardly ever talk to on the phone. If I want to know what's going on with them, I ask Karen. These my family members. All right, these my aunts. They call her. Hey, Donnell, how you doing? Where's Karen? Oh, she is. You ain't got nothing you want to ask me? No, because lives have been woven together. That's just how it is. Yeah. I'm going to give you a cultural statement that I believe makes it really plain. Pooh and Christopher Robin. from the Winnie the Pooh series. Perfect blend of marriage, they say. Is as Pooh said, it's the time of day where you and me become we. That's the time of day. When you and me become we. That's where marriage is. All right? That's a beautiful time. Doesn't mean uniformity. Doesn't mean sameness. That's not what Jesus was saying. That's not what he was teaching them. It simply means unity. Unity in all our specialty. We're unified. God makes us a tapestry, a total commitment, total sharing. And lastly, God determined that marriage should be intimate. I love that at the end. Did you hear me when I read it twice, I think? and say they were naked and they were unashamed. Now, you know you're brave when you can be naked in front of somebody and be unashamed. It doesn't matter who it is. 
when you can be there. But the point is this. There is no need to be ashamed. And when I say naked, I don't mean physically, but even physically. I mean your whole life is laid bare in front of them. You're completely exposed to this person. They know you and your flaws and your problems. And you are not ashamed of anything you are before them. You are completely you in front of them. That's what God created in marriage. That level of openness is so good. Adam and Eve were not ashamed of their bodies until, watch this, they sinned. Until they sinned. When they were in perfect union with God, they had no need to be ashamed of who they were. And it was not until they put themselves in space to sin and transgress against what God created that shame came into play. And that's when they started doing what we're still doing today, covering up. Covering up. And when you start covering in that space, then you, you're hiding. And some of us have been hiding for so long, we're even hiding in our houses. All right? We wake up in the morning because we're not comfortable with who we are. And before he wakes up, you got to put on full makeup because you're not in space where you're comfortable. Before he wakes up, you got to put on whoever that mask is. You, whatever it is you wear. Before she gets up, you got to get up and get all doused up because you don't ever want her to see you at your weak point. I've been using this as a quote, and then I'm out of here. And I want this for church. Dave Chappelle was questioned. And I don't often quote Dave Chappelle, certainly not in church. All right? But Dave Chappelle's got some genius about him on some things. All right? He just always peppers it with too many cuss words. All right? He said about the Will Smith-Chris Rock situation. He said, for 30 years, for 30 years, Will Smith played the perfect man. The perfect man. He said he had us all believing he was the perfect man. And he said, and in one instant, his mask slipped. Dave Chappelle said, I pray he never puts his mask back on. Coming here for 30 years, you come in church. And you wear the perfect man mask. Nobody ever believes there's a problem in your house. We know better. You can't be married 30 years and not have issues in your house. All I'm saying is this ought to be the place where you can come without your mask on. This ought to be the place where you can come and be totally you. The folk who work with you and deal with you in church ought to know you for who you are. Why? Because they can help you be better. And that's what your spouse is supposed to do. Your spouse helps you become your best version of you. I'm so glad that I didn't come to 45th Street as pastor without her. Because you would have got some kind of miss without her. She has made me a better version in every aspect of my life than I could have been without her. I need you to know this. I thank God for her, rounding out the jagged edges. I thank God for her teaching me the spaces when I thought I knew and education failed to get me there. She did that for me because that's what God gave her to me for. And I honor her, try every day 
by being the best, the best helpmate she can have every day. That's what marriage is. Do I mess up? Yeah. Does she get on my nerve? Yeah. Do I get on her nerve? She getting on my nerve right now. Trying to teach, trying to tell me what to preach. Y'all don't see that every Sunday, do you? Uh, my co-preacher over here. Yeah. But I bet you this. I bet I can go back for almost 18 years and she got notes for every sermon. I can go back and ask her what I preached in 2010 on such and such day. She got it. She got it. She'll tell me who prayed. She'll tell me the song before I sang. Those kind of notes she takes. And she'll tell me I preach too long, too. I don't care. I don't care. But I'm not arrogant enough with her to say, just take notes and shut up. Because I need her. I need her. I didn't know I needed her before the beginning of 2022. I can tell you right now, I know I need her. All right? She's a blessing to me. I'm better than I would have been. That's what God does in man. All right? Marriage doesn't just stop with man and woman in this relationship. Are you in union with Christ? Have you selected him? to be in union with you because he's offered an invitation. He's extended an invitation to you. He simply wants to be part of a relationship with you. He's willing to give everything he had in his life to be with you. Have you accepted that? If you've not accepted that gift, then you're just leaving it on the table. Right? To have and to hold. From this day forward, in sickness and in health, for rich, for poor. That's the relationship. It means something. Plenty of times I've been tempted to be less than my best version of myself. And I hear in my mind, Sister Hall, to have and to hold. We were married by both of our grandfathers together. Both of them were Baptist preachers. We stood in front of both of them and made these vows. And if I don't see these two good men every time I'm tempted to be less than myself, I know the Lord is watching. Oh, it took some courage to stand in front of her granddad, who I adore, in front of my granddad, who I adore, and make those also mature statements. Oh, they were mature. It took courage. To y'all, they would take even more courage to break them. Now that I know that I've made them all these years. So if you're here today, and you're ready to start a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's been waiting for you. He's ready right now. He wants you to be a part of his family. Today is the day. Jesus, I'm ready. Jesus, I'm ready for you to be my Lord and Savior. Jesus, I'm ready. I'm ready for you to leave me. Jesus, I'm ready. For you to take me and keep me from now and through all eternity. Jesus, I'm ready. While the choir stands and sings this song.
you never accepted Jesus' invitation today, is the day for you to do so. You maybe been looking for a church family and haven't found the one you've been looking for. Now is the time. Today is the day. Whosoever will, have to come right now.